it's, it's neat seeing athletes like up and comers in the sport and having perspective on that. Cause I remember like hearing chatter about, Oh, this rich Froning guy down South, he's going to be so fit. He's going to win the games a million times. And if you're a competitor and you hear that about somebody, your reaction isn't like, Oh, I can't wait to meet him. Your reaction is like, who is this guy? He probably sucks. Um, at least that was me. Maybe there are friendlier competitors out there, but um, yeah, I think I met, you know, Rich. And at that time, I don't know if he was engaged to Hillary yet, but they were just, he was just sitting somewhere in the StubHub stadium. And I, you know, I was just impressed with the weekend of him. And I went up and introduced myself to him and they all, obviously I had competed there too. And cause it was, it was like kind of really, I mean, both him and Graham Holmberg that, that year kind of, I think set a standard that, that really sped up and catapulted um, the development of CrossFit Games athletes. Cause they just put out some, um, times and some performances where like, just other people weren't doing that stuff yet. Hi, my name is Scott Schweitzer and I am the Clydesdale. My friends Amy Radowski, Charlie Yodi, Kat Shear love fitness as a sport as much as I do. We are all 40 plus Masters Age athletes who give all we have to lead a healthy, active life. We also want to bring you athlete interviews human interest stories, and all the news surrounding the sport of fitness. If you like what you hear, consider giving us a five-star rating and writing a review. We are also available with full video on YouTube at the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends Podcast, as well as all traditional podcast platforms. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Clydesdale underscore fitness and friends. And now... Off to this week's episode of the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends Podcast. Hello, hello. Hey, James, how are you? How are we doing? Good to see you all. Yeah. So, James, I'm Scott. I'm the one who's been talking to you. I've been Uh, watching some videos on you, man. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Good stuff. There you go. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, I hope they're good ones. Yeah, yeah, no, they're great. It's very cool. Um, And then these are my two co-hosts, Kat and Amy. Well, hello, Kat. Hello, Amy. Hello. So Amy and I actually met you at the 2016 regionals. Yep. I was going to say Amy looks familiar as well. Yeah. Oh, cool. So we're glad to have you on. We're really informal and laid back and just like to have a conversation. The record button's already on, so we'll just kind of get into it and, yeah, and kind of go, th- go th- this is your life, James Hobart. I'm just kind of <laughs> admiring your, your studio setup, man. Uh, it's, it's actually been, some of the athletes have sent me some shirts and I just frame them behind. Uh, they sign them and, and then I have posters yeah. from the games. And Who's that playing guitar though over there over your left shoulder? Uh, that's Eddie Van Halen. That is what's Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Rest in peace, right? Yeah. What a crazy year. <laughs> yeah. 2020, 2020 can end anytime now. <laughs> I know. It's, it's gonna soon, man. <laughs> but yeah, awesome. No, I'm happy to chat. Grateful to be here. Um, yeah. Cool to be cool to cool to get more insight on your story. Um, watch a couple videos on you and, and just your journey, which is uh pretty amazing so i hope all is well yeah all all is getting well we're, we're just about back to to full go so cool um so for our listeners we have james hobart uh you are an eight-time crossfit games athlete uh three-time champion in the team division and the only person to ever do it on two different teams yeah so that's pretty that's pretty cool <laughs> Yeah, no, I've, I've said this before. I, I feel very lucky um, and fortunate. My, my, com- my com- competing cup is, is full, quite full. And uh, yeah, lucky to have those experiences. And yeah, especially because they weren't ever expected, really, which is always cool. Right. So I, I heard that you were actually the formal winner of the worst baseball player ever. I was, was the wait, what? Worst baseball player ever. I was a terrible baseball player. Yeah. <laughs> That was like little league. I was so bad. I was, I, you know, um, I think my dad always wanted me to be better at baseball than I was. And, um, cause he really liked that game. And it was one of the only sports that I think he really enjoyed playing and watching. 
And uh, man, if I was pitching, you either hit a home run or I hit you. You know, those are the <laughs> that's like those are the options that I had. So um, you, there you were sports Kat, I was better at. You and Cat would get along great. Cat, are you? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry to introduce myself to you. Are you? Are you not a great baseball player either? No, I can't. I can't throw to save my life. And and my son is lined up for a D1 scholarship for baseball as a pitcher. Oh, and it's just wow. kind of ironic that I can't throw to save my life. But maybe you, you, whatever you had a latent ability, you transferred it all to him. That's what you should probably, do. yeah, how he's so awesome. Yeah. I, I, it's, I think it's one of the most beautiful athletic movements that anyone can do. Like when you watch or listen to somebody throw well, it's just like it has such a cool sound to it. So congrats to him. Where is he? Gonna, where is, if you don't mind sharing, where is he going to end up? He's going to be, he's a senior this year. He's going to William & Mary next year oh, in, in Williamsburg, cool. Virginia. Yeah. yeah. Oh, congrats. He's to you. a you must smart be, kid. So yeah, I was going to say, you must be super proud. Yeah, big time. Not not right the second because we're not speaking, but yeah, eventually I will be. It's a you know, he's gotcha. seventeen. Yeah, <laughs> it's rough. No. no, yeah, yeah. I remember very very well waging total war against my mom for for years. Yeah. But now we're I best actually, friends. So I actually doing some research on you this morning. Saw um, that Torrin Simpson did a did a little documentary on you, and the part where you and you were talking about your relationship with your mom, it, it reminded me of my relationship with my son and how eventually he would probably go on camera and say the same thing, but just not today. <laughs> yeah, it takes, it takes a while, but that's very cool. Uh, yeah. Torrin's a beast. Yeah, anytime an Emmy winner will make a video of you. It's cool. But uh, yeah, my mom's amazing too. So it'll, it'll happen. I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, sure so growing up, baseball wasn't your thing, but you did find no. some athletics athletics in soccer and lacrosse. Yeah, I really, I played, you know, soccer most of my life, you know, um, after my failed baseball career at the young age of whatever, eight, nine, 10, 11. Um, and I played soccer growing up. I played lacrosse more in high school. Um, I was always pretty active outdoors. I, I raced um, in skiing. I downhill raced uh, briefly in high, for, in high school for a few years. So I was definitely into sports and I, I, I liked playing sports a lot. I liked team sports and like I, I, there were things I enjoyed about baseball. I just sucked at it. You know, like the team aspect of it was, was incredibly fun. Um, so be like being active in sports were always a pretty big part of my life uh, growing up. And oddly enough, I was never a gym guy, you know, like um, the, I think one of the reasons, especially once I got to high school, one of the reasons I played sports so much because I, you know, I had some friends who were in the gym um and i just I, I hated like being inside you know it was like i was allergic to that that's really cool um yeah i i'm lucky enough that my daughter really likes to be outside and i didn't have to fight that yeah uh, growing up because i think it's harder now my parents you know like i was we were joking about my mom and um you know i i blame a lot of what i do well and my good world outlook on her but it was like, you know, they were growing up, we had like the little rules about like no TV. You know, I wasn't allowed to have a TV in my bedroom, which was annoying because my friends did. And, you know, at that time I was growing up, we had like Nintendo and Super Nintendo. And um, I wasn't allowed, I had to save up to buy my own. They wouldn't buy me one. And, and so it's like, and I was also an only Good child. for them. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it was cool. And, yeah. um, and it's, it's definitely a bigger challenge right now because I just, you know, the amount of distractions that are out there and iPhones and iPads are just so cool and fun. Um, but for me, it was, I was also, I am an only child and um, I had a pretty good relationship with most of my extended family, but it was just a lot of outside time, you know, and that's just kind of how life rolled. And I'm, gr I'm way more grateful for that now at times than I was then. I mean, I loved it then, but there were definitely times where I was like, it'd be cool if I was hanging out with friends or I could play video games more or so-and-so has, you know, this TV set up at their house. So I, I'm glad that I didn't have that. Yeah, I grew up in the same manner. I grew up in a really small town uh, and actually a suburb of that small town. So like 20 minutes in. Um, and so we were in the woods. My, I had like three friends close. We were in the woods every yeah. day. And, and it was just, it was the best. Yeah, there's something super special about that. You know, it was like, I just remember a lot of my childhood, like you're just riding a bike around, you know? And now I will say it was like, there was such an efficiency now to like friendship as far as like texting somebody or, you know, like, if you're a, a, a helicopter friend and you have like the location of your friends on your phone, you know, it's, I just remember most of my childhood, most of the day was just trying to find your friends. Well, I'll bike to Joe's house. Hey, is Joe home? No, he's down at so-and-so's. I'll bike to so-and-so's house. So um, yeah, I was, I, I'm grateful for that. And, and that's probably like, 
you know, inadvertently a big reason why I appreciate fitness and like taking care of my body that way is just because it was sort of, I don't know, melded into my DNA. It just kind of happened by circumstance. I was just doing it. Um, so yeah, super lucky for that. I, th I thought I saw Kat moving for a question. I was nope. scratching my leg. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so an another, another parallel we kind of have is I was not the best student in high school. Mm. Um, and it, it took me longer than you to flip the switch. Uh, but once I did, I became like a bookworm and ended, ended up graduating cum laude. Oh. But it took, me, it took me 15 years to get to that point. Yeah. Um, you went to college and you flipped the switch and end up in law school. Yeah. That's, I, don't know. that's yeah. All, I think, more amazing than your CrossFit feats. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if, any, you know, and I think, too, you, you definitely had a, a far better um, athletic pedigree than, than I ever did. Um, but, um, so that kind of gives you a hall pass. So don't stress about the academics too much. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I don't know if ending up in, I, I'm grateful for that. People look at it as a positive thing and an impressive thing. I, I, I don't know if law school identifies that I was necessarily uh, smart or a good student. It just, I, you know, in retrospect, I think I just had a real crazy penchant for spending money. Um, and that's why I ended up in law school, but um, yeah, you know, so I finished high school and there was this weird thing that happened to me. And in a way, again, uh, I'll, I'll kind of blame my mom for this. And, you know, she was always a super cool parent in the sense that like, as long as I was in, you know, her, she would always say, if you don't have a job and you're not in school, you're not living here. You know, like that was kind of where the, but if I was working full time or I was in school, like she was pretty happy with whatever I was doing. And so in some ways I'm super grateful for that. Cause I was kind of, I was a little bit of a dilettante and to some extent I still am, you know, when I was younger, cause I was just interested in a lot of different things, but not to the point where I was like talented enough or putting in enough work ethic to like get a D one scholarship. Like that just wasn't the cards for me, but I like, you know, Jack of all trades kind of approach. And I think I've always been like that. Um, but anyway, long story short, I was talking to my friends in my, my junior year of high school and they're like, Hey, where are you applying to college? And I'm like, what do you mean? We're supposed to apply to college? <laughs> like, it just, you know, it just wasn't in my, on my mind and it wasn't something I was totally geared toward. And then, um, so they all went off to school and, um, I had a fair amount of friends who, who enlisted in the Marines as well. And, um, they did some really incredible things and just great people. But, uh, I stayed home and went to community college. And honestly, it was like, it was for the first six months, it was the biggest bummer, you know, like social, emotional bummer I dealt with growing up. But then when I, you know, in retrospect upon graduating, it was the best probably academic and adult decision, you know, other than maybe um, marrying my wife that I've made up until this point. Um, just cause it's like, I finished my community college and I, like you said, I kind of hunkered down, did really well. Um, got another scholarship to go to a, you know, a full ride to a state school here in Massachusetts. And um, it just, it helped develop my work ethic and attitude toward, you know, what I wanted to be and do. And um, it just put me around a lot of great people. And, you know, whether some of that was certainly luck. Um, yeah, it was like wildly just this awesome decision that at the start of it, I looked at and I was like, well, this is going to suck. You know, I'm going to community college. I'm still living at home. And then two years later, I was like, I'm still living at home. I'm saving all this money. I'm doing really well in community college. And I got a scholarship to go to a, you know, a big state school. So yeah, long story short, that turned out really well. Um, and I, you know, it's like one of those things where you step on a journey and you have no idea where it's going to end, but I'm glad it, it went where it went, you know? Yeah. And so then you entered law school and that's when all the CrossFit stuff kind of came at you. Yeah. Right. You, you found CrossFit in law school. And if you want to tell that story. Yeah. I mean, if you guys don't have anywhere to, <laughs> anywhere to be, um, no. Yeah. So, and again, my mom was always super cool with stuff. Like she was so uh, graceful in her ability and willingness just let me to let me be and do and explore stuff on my own, you know, as long as like, hey, as long as you're working, as long as you're in school, you know, that attitude, you know, was always there from her. But I was like, I finished law school. And I'll never forget this. I was probably in, I don't know, I, I got to the point in law school where I was just my first semester, I was just beyond where the cutoff point is where you can get your refund. If you decide like, oh, wow, this is law school. This is terrible. Um, I don't want to be here anymore. I just was like, I was like a week or a couple of days beyond that, you know, no point of return. And I remember sitting there in the, our, um, our property teacher, who is like your quintessential law school teacher. Like he had like this heavy wool, 
you know, blazer and he had like white, we called him the silver fox, just white hair combed back. And he was sitting there saying, we're here to turn you into great lawyers. And I remember at that exact moment sitting there and thinking, oh shit, I don't want to be a lawyer. <laughs> you know, and so the next, you know, three years of law school, and I'm glad I did it, you know, for the sole reason that um, I wouldn't have been in Boston, like you said, um, you know, it's kind of like, like you were talking about, you know, in, in your story, Scott, with, with the wind and, and the gazebo blowing over and meeting your neighbor, you know, it was like just right place, right time. If I wasn't in Boston going to law school, there's about a hundred people who were significantly um, important to me in my CrossFit development that I never would have met. And, um, you know, and that's what I always say. Law school is what brought me to CrossFit and brought me to Boston and really kind of catapulted my development and desire and passion um, for fitness. So, you know, I wouldn't change that for the world, you know, and I do appreciate the education too. Certainly, I just didn't have a huge desire to go be a practicing attorney. Yeah, I, I, had, me I had that moment in one of my master's degree, when you hit the halfway point and you start your thesis <laughs> and you're like, is this really what I want to do? Yeah. But you've already invested too much money and yep. you can't get out. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, you just have to knuckle down and, and finish it. But yeah, I'll never forget that moment. You're here to be great lawyers. And I was like, what if I don't want to be a lawyer? <laughs> you know, and it's like, oh, probably should not have went to law school. But, um, you know, we, that's, you know, you got to, some, some of us are, are very good at learning only the hard way. So. Yeah. I'm with you on that. So, so you, you find CrossFit and quickly you get your level one. Yeah. So I think I, you know, I kind of inadvertently stumbled on CrossFit in, in you know, 2000, early 2007 um, with a fellow I was training with. He passed the website on to me and I was like, we were doing some other stuff together and training. And he said, hey, you got to check this out. And then right in 2000, April of 2008, um, we went and did our level one out at HyperFit, which was Doug Chapman's gym. Um, he had trained, I see the Julie Fouché shirt behind you. Um, he had trained Julie Fouché for a long time. And there I like, you know, I met all the classic CrossFit seminar staff crew. I met a lot of people at that seminar who would go on to be affiliate owners. Um, you know, one of the stories I tell is I met, I think Katie Henniger from Rogue was taking that seminar, which is like an insane thing to think about. You know, Bill and Katie had this young man that I think they knew who was an athlete. And he did like the first, one of the first like sub two and a half minute Franz, you know, and at the time it was just like, it's just all just you know, it's like just this big flashy blur because I was so into it, you know. I drank the Kool-Aid as, as they used to say. And uh, looking back on it, it was this really cool moment because I came home and I was getting into college at the time. And, um, you know, I didn't really know where CrossFit was going to take me, but I really liked it. You know, I really believed in it. I went home and started zoning meals and I was in college at the time, so I didn't eat anything good. But I'll tell you, I zoned everything from peanut butter and jelly sandwiches to, you know, bow tie pasta with butter and eggs, because that's all you eat, basically, and beer, you know, what else do you eat in college? Um, but I zoned it, all of it, and I was just super hooked on it, super hooked on it. So you, you started coaching then, and did you find a passion when you, when you got into that pretty quickly? Yeah, you know, I really did, and I think even if it wasn't CrossFit, and I'm glad it is CrossFit, I, I think I would have ended up teaching something you know, I just like that teacher student relationship. I, I had a couple teachers at community college, um, you know, this fellow by the name of Chris Laney, who is our Western civilization teacher. And man, I just saw him do what he did and the influence he had on me as a person. I was like, I want to do that. You know, if I can pass what he passed on to me to one other single person in my life, it'll be okay. And, um, you know, fitness is the vehicle I get to do that with now. And I'm really grateful for that because I believe in it. And, um, when I started coaching, I mean, that's, I had no desire to compete. You know, I didn't really know what any of that meant to me, but it was just the act of, you know, sharing with other people something I believed in and, and was beneficial to their life so much. I just, I fell in love with that immediately. And um, even if I was the world's worst coach at the time, which I probably was, um, I still loved it so much. How, how soon after that did your mom start CrossFit? Okay. So that's, um, let me think of that timeline question. So at that time when I was starting to coach around 2008, I don't think she took her level. I was down at mayhem at the time competing. So I don't think my mom took her level one until 2014 or 2015. Okay. Um, and yeah, cause I think that's when she kind of got into it and my mom, you know, 
at the time she started CrossFit, so if it was 2015, yeah, she would have been 54, 55. Yeah. So she was about 54, I think, when she got into it. And at the, you know, she was always like, she was like a walker, you know, like she would walk every morning and my mom had really gotten into yoga. So like, she was definitely, you know, and we were one of those households like couldn't have food with food coloring in it. You know, like you go to your friend's house and you see like lucky charms and it like blows your mind that food could look that color and taste that great. And then at my house, we have like non-sweetened oat brand breakfast. But anyway, <laughs> um, so she was kind of like health minded in that sense. You know, she was tuned into that. We had a garden, she cooked most of our meals, like very, very lucky for that. But you know, I could just tell at that time she was just kind of getting a little older and, you know, she had smoked most of her life and she was still doing that. And really everything that she picked up about CrossFit, except maybe for one thing happened kind of through osmosis. She was always incredibly supportive of my competitive career, but it just sort of like seemed to be this thing that wasn't for her. And I don't think I ever really pushed it on her. And um, the one time I did was I had been working on seminar staff at this point for about five years. I think it was 20, 2015 cat. I'd have to check, but about four or five years on seminar staff. And I had decided to work a seminar on Thanksgiving weekend and it was down in Tennessee. And I said to my mom, Hey, if you want to see what I do for work and if you want to hang out with me on Thanksgiving. So I kind of threatened her. <laughs> um, you got to come do it level one. And um, I've been, you know, I've told this story a couple of times, but it's always amazing to me. And she said, fine, I'll come to a level one. She says, I don't want to look like an idiot in front of your coworkers. She said, I want to sign up for an on-ramp class at a local affiliate. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, fast forward a month after the on-ramp class, she calls me and says, Hey, I bought a membership. And so what was really cool about it is as much as CrossFit was a huge part of my life and I had insight and knowledge of the curriculum and the competitive aspect of it, she kind of developed her own relationship with her fitness and, and, and bringing her, her body and her emotional and physical health to where she wanted to be. And I just kind of gave little tidbits along the way. And it was fun for me to be able to sit from the sideline, not sideline, but sit kind of sit back a little bit and just watch her do that. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing to see. Yeah. Very lucky for me and her. So what was the motivation to move all the way? You are a CrossFit level four. Mm. Uh, you, you've been, you were on seminar staff for a long time. I don't know if, I don't know if you're still there or not. Um, I know you're still doing the tip videos on YouTube. Yep. Um, what was that motivation to go the whole way through? And, and didn't you become a flow master at one point? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's all. That's all good. Yeah. So I, I worked from, for seminar staff since I'm going to take my sweater off real quick. Sorry about that. I worked for seminar staff for since 2010. Um, so 10 years now, and, uh, they haven't, they haven't kicked me off yet. <laughs> um, and, um, obviously just things are different now with, with COVID-19 and just bringing seminars back online and just the different guidelines state to state. But, um, sorry, I forgot. What was the question? Scott, I totally just blocked. So what out. was the motivation to go the uh, whole way? Motivation. <clears throat> um, with seminar staff, you know, part of it was that when I went to my level one and I am, um, helped out. I assisted as like a test dummy at a level two seminar. And part of this, I just loved the people who were working at them, you know, and gosh, if I said this once, I've said it a thousand times. We meet when we say that the, the cadre of seminar staff trainers is roughly 200 worldwide are just some of the best people on the planet. And, um, you know, and that doesn't even have to do with anything, have anything to do with their fitness skills. I mean, just in their daily lives, in their, their backgrounds, um, who they are as people. It just, it, seminar staff has done an incredible job of just collecting some really talented, caring, insightful, interesting people. And, um, you know, I wanted to be involved with that. I wanted to be around that. And so, you know, I made it a personal goal of mine. And I tried really, this was actually, I started thinking about this when I was finishing up law school. And I actually petitioned the dean <laughs> at our law school to get a, uh, a two week extension on finals so I could go do an internship for a level one um, and she wouldn't let me. So it got postponed a little while, but um, yeah, I just, I really loved the, the people. And like you had kind of pointed out, I was fortunate enough to be able to tune into the fact that I really like teaching. You know, I found something, you know, kind of from a jack of all trades background that I was willing to dump a lot of energy and a lot of passion into, and I wanted to pursue it really hard. And so I think where those were probably two of the biggest things just the people and, and how I felt toward coaching and teaching fitness. 
And we, we say some terms, sometimes our listeners may not know what they are. A flow master is someone who runs the weekend, keeps yeah. everything organized, everything on time and flowing that way. And, and it's kind of the highest level of that seminar staff. Yeah. Uh, and so our, our technical, I think, the, I think the, the term that's on LinkedIn is that we're, or is we're course overseers. Um, <laughs> And, um, you know, I'll joke sometimes like, but like a floor manager, you know, our job is to ensure quality and control of the weekend and, and provide uh, leadership and developmental feedback for staff and provide after action reports for um, our senior management admin team that obviously are back at uh, CrossFit Inc. that can't be at the seminar. So it's a really, really interesting job. And, um, you know, the best part about it is just the people you, you get to, I think the people you get to meet and work beside. Um, I really believe that I've, I hope I've taught people half as much as I feel like I've learned from them throughout this seminar. I know it sounds cliche, but for me, it's the damn truth. You know, it's like there are weekends I walk away and I'm like, wow, never even saw that one coming like that. You know, it's just amazing the diversity of experiences and stories you get at seminars. Do you, do you see the future of that, that staff growing? Cause I know obviously with COVID, you know, you have more than you need. Yeah. Um, but is that something that's going to expand? I know personally, like I, the only reason I got my level three is because I wanted to get on seminar staff or at least have an internship opportunity. But, um, in talking to Nadia and everyone there, it's like, I'm in the Northeast. There's so many people in the Northeast right now. I need everyone to move West, you know, for there to be some openings there. But do you, do you sense based on what you know now with Eric Rosa being in the, in charge and everything else, what do you think the future of that, that staff looks like? Yeah. I mean, staff has grown, I think, consistently over the years. Obviously, you know, the this nature of COVID, I think, puts the e-brake on for a little bit. Short answer is I do think staff will continue to grow. I, I think it will see continually see more growth internationally. Yeah. And um, just for the sole reason. So, you know, right now, and, and I've shared these stats before, and I think it's kind of, I think it's public knowledge, but um, I believe over 50% of CrossFit affiliates exist outside of the United States. And it's been that way for a couple of years now. And then the other big one is that I believe over 50% of web traffic going to CrossFit.com um, is incoming from outside. It's global. It's incoming from outside of the U.S., which is our really cool stats. And since I started on staff, we have seen the growth, you know, of our, our South American seminar staff, um, seminar staff in Asia, um, South Africa, parts of Africa, Australia, you know, all over Europe. It's like, we've seen those staffs grow significantly. Um, and for the longest time when we started, we were doing most of our seminars overseas, especially somewhere where English was a second language or not the native language, rather. Um, we had a translator. And now we have a cadre of staff in South America that can deliver entire seminars in Spanish or, or you know, Portuguese. And uh, I think we're getting there in, in places like South Korea. So short answer is I do think seminar staff will continue to grow everywhere. Um, I think just the, the rate at which it grows, that's going to be dependent on just what's going on right now with, with, the, with the pandemic. I think that's a huge one. I don't see, you know, obviously people are like, you know, the growth across the United States has, has plateaued. And well, I don't think it's going to grow as, you know, there was this time between 2011 and 2014 where it was meteoric, you know, and I, I think any of us who have been around that long remember it. Um, but I, you know, I still have people come into my gym, <laughs> our affiliate here in Boston that are like, that, that are like, oh, I live down the block. You know, I didn't even know there was a CrossFit gym here. So, you know, that could mean a couple of things. Our marketing sucks. Uh, <laughs> Or what I really think happening is there is still room for CrossFit to grow in the U.S. Um, there's certainly room for it to grow and probably the biggest opportunity potential to grow outside of the U.S. So long story short, that's like the fifth time I've said that, I'm sorry, um, is yeah, I do think it'll continue to grow. Staff will continue to grow. And, and what you see too are there's some very senior seminar staff trainers um, who are flow masters now matriculating and maturing into other positions that have to do with um, course development or online course development or overseeing admin portions of seminar staff. So they're coming off the road and, and moving up, which is a really nice thing to see, you know, that kind of vertical, vertical growth in a, in a company is a really healthy, uh, hopeful thing. Yeah. So that might've been, I don't know if you were looking for that kind of answer, but <laughs> which one you got? No, that was great. Okay, Thank you. good. <laughs> so over your career, you have worked with some of the biggest names in coaching, 
uh, in CrossFit. And, and your career kind of started with Ben Bergeron uh, asking you to be a part of the team. But before we get to that, Kat and I have judged uh, in several either sanctionals or regionals. And I know that you judged at the 2011 regionals. Yeah. Right? Dang. So, um, so what was that like being on that side of the, of the fence compared yeah. to competing? Um, oh man. You know, at, at this point, at that point in my com- competitive career, it did a couple of things. It was frustrating because I wanted to be competing. Um, you know, it, it was a, it was a weird season that year. I thought I had some issue going on medically that actually, and luckily didn't turn out to be something that that was that big. So I had really taken a step back from training and competing and, but still wanted to participate. And that's why I judged. Um, I think the biggest lesson I learned was, and I hope I, you know, if anyone has ever remembered judging me, I hope that they think this of me or my teammates is that we weren't jerks you know, don't treat judges poorly was probably the best thing I learned. Cause you know, and as you guys know, it's like the volunteer community of CrossFit is epic and special. Cause it was like, I saw the way some teams would treat judges. I was just like, <laughs> and, and, and don't get me wrong. Like, and, and, you know, you, you're someone who I think is such an incredibly um, obvious story of the power of fitness to change lives and allow somebody to recapture their life. And then, you know, like, that's what I saw when I watched my mom do it. And it is immensely impactful. But at the other end of the spectrum, it was like when I would see some of these athletes treat judges poorly or be rude in competition, at the end of the day, I was like, you're just doing an air squat, man. Like, good Lord, chill out. You know, <laughs> you know? Um, it's not that big of a deal right Thank now. You. But I, Thank I, you I, for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, good. I'm glad. Um, so that was one of the biggest lessons I learned at that time. And, and for me, it was really hard because I still wanted to be competing. I think now I would have a little bit of a different view on it. You know, I'm still a competitive guy. And, you know, I watched the first event in the games this morning. And in my head, I'm like, I think it, there'll never be another games like it. You know, five athletes, you get to be out there and you, there's just going to be this camaraderie that they have and this like all eyes on you. That's like such a special experience. And I think anyone who's competed for a long time, you know, always remembers that and still has a little bit of a desire for it. So I think I would still want that now as a judge, but I did enjoy judging and you learn a lot from seeing the competition and you respect the competition and the people involved with it, judges, volunteers, administer, you know, so on and so forth, media, when you um, participate in different, different parts of it. And I, I count myself really lucky to have that perspective to be fortunate enough to have that perspective. And, and I would say, and Kat can jump in if she thinks something different, but 95% of the athletes are awesome. Yeah. They're, they're just yeah. awesome to deal with and Absolutely. they, and, and are just there to do the best that they can. You have that 5% that, that make it difficult sometimes, but, but most, for the most part. And, and I do get to like, you're caught up, you care, you're passionate and yep. you know, everybody has that slip of the tongue. But, um, you know, I think seeing that firsthand, I was like, oh, wow, I don't ever want to do that to a judge. And I hope I never have. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think we have. <laughs> so you take that step back and you judge. And then all of a sudden you get a call. You start working out at CrossFit New England and you get the call, hey, join our team. And you end up going to the CrossFit Games in a year that you took a step back. What was that like? Um, so... I had actually been training with CrossFit Boston and Neil Thompson, who was the owner there as an individual in 09, 2010, still around, you know, started training a little bit out at New England. And then 11 was when I did the team. Um, it was awesome. You know, obviously, I think, you know, one of the unique things about CrossFit New England is, and, and you know, Ben, is he was one of the few guys. And I think, you know, Adam Niefer, uh, who was up at Fort Vancouver, I think, you know, there was some people down at Santa Cruz, you know, the Invictus crew with CJ. Um, CrossFit Central crew down in Texas at that time in CrossFit 2010, 2011, they were some of the first groups um, who really treated competing both team and individual side as almost like um, just a, a more full time is not the right word, but like a full time job attitude toward the sport. Um, And I, you know, I think there were still more so than there were more people who was just like, it was just like a hobby you know, for them competing and being at New England in that kind of environment, I think was, was very cool, especially because that's sort of at that time for me, that's what was developing. And, you know, I wanted to have this become a bigger thing for me, be able to put more time into it. And, you know, there was a handful of people at New England that, you know, treated it more like, you know, like you would treat 
I don't know, a sport in, you know, high level sport in, in high school or college, you know, it didn't have that yet professional feel to it, but you were giving it a little bit more than just, Hey, I'm going to do this workout really hard and compare my score against my buddy. I'm going to start to create a bigger ecosystem around training, recovering and competing. And that was happening at New England at that time. And obviously it continued for, for many years on. So um, for me, it was super fun and just fun to be tapped into more athletes who had that mindset. And we're looking into the, the mindset half of competition, not just doing, you know, giving it your all physically. And you worked with Ben Bergeron during that time. What, yeah. what did you learn from him? Um, you know, like I said, I, th I think from the competitive aspect, one of the biggest things I, I like I said, I learned from Ben and, and I think he still brings this to the sport is that um, the sport of CrossFit is, and even just, not even just the sport, but just, you know, the, the coaching game of CrossFit was just much more than the physical aspect of it. You know, I think one of the biggest things that Ben brought, like I said, was just this idea that you could train the mental side of it, the emotional side of it, the strategic side of it. And there was a lot of ground to be gained there. Um, and I would say that extends even to someone who's just coaching a regular class. You know, it's like, there's more than just points of performance to teach your athletes. I mean, there's, there's strategy you can, or just even, you know, I call them how to's of how to navigate a workout, you know, like what, is, you know, is it always smart to just do the first, you know, the first round in 60 seconds and then hold on for dear life? You know, like what is, you know, how do we communicate that with our athletes and kind of teach them on a higher level? So I would say that's probably one of the, that's probably the biggest thing I learned, you know, coming out of New England was just taking, and I don't like this word, but like a more holistic approach to training, more complete approach. I'll say that more complete approach to training. Um, that was probably one of the biggest things I learned there. Why don't you like the word holistic? I just, it, I guess it sounds just, um, um, I like what it stands for. I just, it just sounds kind of cliche, but it fits, right? Kind of a buzzword <laughs> right now too. I think. Yeah. 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 But it, so, I mean, it's exactly what I want to say. <laughs> so. <laughs> so back in 2010, you met Rich and you guys, did you become fast friends right away? You know, tell us about your relationship with Rich. Um, you know, what's funny about that is, uh, it's, it's neat seeing athletes like up and comers in the sport and having perspective on that. Cause I remember like hearing chatter about, Oh, this rich Froning guy down South, he's going to be so fit. He's going to win the games a million times. And if you're a competitor and you hear that about somebody, your reaction isn't like, Oh, I can't wait to meet him. Your reaction is like, who is this guy? He probably sucks. Um, at least that was me. Maybe there are friendlier competitors out there, but um, yeah, I think I met, you know, Rich, and at that time, I don't know if he was engaged to Hillary yet, but they were just, he was just sitting somewhere in the StubHub Stadium, and, I, you know, I was just impressed with the weekend of him, and I went up and introduced myself to him, and, you know, obviously, I had competed there, too, and because it was, it was like kind of really, I mean, both him and Graham Holmberg that, that year kind of, I think, set a standard that, that really sped up and catapulted um, the development of CrossFit Games athletes, because they just put out some um, times and some performances where just other people weren't doing that stuff yet. And so I just introduced myself and we just kind of kept crossing paths um, through my proximity to Reebok headquarters. They were up here in Boston, his relationship developing with Reebok, um, our relationship with the um, equipment company again, faster at the time. So we just kind of kept crossing paths. And um, one of the really cool things and was at that time, it was just like a lot of the competitors knew each other pretty well because it was a pretty tight knit small group, especially at the top at that time. I mean, the sport is still young. It was even younger back then. So it was just kind of like every year the games was really like, a, I always felt it was like a family reunion where we were just really competitive with one another. So I think for the most part, a lot of the games athletes had really good relationships with each other and continued to develop that. So that's kind of how we met. So in 2014, you go individual hmm. after three years of team and you get to compete. Um, so you had, you'd done it previous, but it, you'd taken some years off. Hmm. You go back and do it. And CrossFit, the CrossFit games themselves had changed dramatically hmm. from the last time you competed to 14. What were the big differences you saw when you competed that year? Um, the, honestly, the biggest thing I saw when I competed that year, other than the elevation of, of, of the level of athlete, um, was just, just the improvements they had made on sort of treating the athletes. You know, I remember 2009 CrossFit games. It was like, you were lucky if you just didn't get sunburned that weekend. Like that was like a win. Um, cause it was just at, at the Castro's ranch and it was dusty and it was awesome. 
don't get me wrong. I mean, it was amazing, but compared to like, like again, watching the games this weekend and they have their own little air conditioned trailers and it's amazing. Um, the, the 2014 games, I mean, there was a huge step up in um, athlete amenities and athlete control. Um, we still had, you know, we had like these big, large air conditioning tents where we could, but we could still, you know, we were in, we were in the shade. It was air conditioned. We have our own little like booths where we could store our stuff and it had like a little name placards and it was all this kind of cool stuff. And that was definitely the biggest thing I noticed was um, just the production quality um, around the CrossFit Games. Yeah. So after that Games, Rich announces his retirement from individual competition. Yep. So how does it come up? You know, you're, you, you say it's like family reunions and you kind of see each other here and there, but there's a point where he, he makes a call or you make a call mm. uh, for that team on Mayhem. And how did that go down? Well, you know, what was interesting about that at that time, so 2014, like, wow, six years ago now, you know, I had trained a fair amount down in Tennessee. Um, it's because I felt like, you know, it was going to be the right place to be if I wanted to make a push back to the games individual. I mean, it, Rich was a huge part of it down there, but there were always fit athletes coming through. And even just the athletes are down there who regularly trained with Rich, there was just always somebody who was going to beat you at something. So it was a really awesome competitive environment. And it was also just a really fun environment to be in. I mean, it was competitive to the point where it was productive, not destructive. And, um, you know, so it was people wanted everyone else to get better, but they still wanted to be competitive with them. So that was really helpful. And uh, Rich had been talking about that year, you know, about how this was his last year. And I think a lot of us were like, yeah, okay. You know, like whatever, we'll see it when it happens. And um, toward the end of the year, he just started talking more and more about team. And at the time, the restrictions for teams was that, you know, you had that live in rule and you had to spend, you know, live X amount of time, you know, in that area training with that team. So for a couple, you know, Rich had talked about how he really wanted to start going team. And so we had just discussed it. And then it was kind of somewhere around the end of December. He's like, so are we going to do a team? And I just kind of was like, yeah, sure. I'll be down January 1st. You know, and that's, I think, did I drive down that? I think I drove down that time. You know, I went down to St. Thomas with some friends and then it might've been on January 2nd. Like I basically flew home to Boston and then drove to Tennessee overnight. <laughs> and, you know, we arrived and I told Rich, I'll never forget this. I was so pissed. Started 2015 and I was like, all right, I've just been in a car for 19 hours driving and I'm coming off and, you know, a pretty wild trip in St. Thomas for New Year's. I'm going to go sleep. And he's like, no, we're going to go train at the gym. <laughs> and I was about as mad and miserable as you could be, but we went and we trained and I met some of the other, you know, teammates who we were going to be competing with. And then I went home and slept for 14 hours. But, um, you know, that it kind of just, we had talked about it and talked about it. And then the opportunity was there and we just did it. You know, it's just how it rolled. So there are stories and legends of like some bets that you guys would make about your fitness. <laughs> Never like, mind this, but some other people's maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I've heard legends of your, of your like GHD work. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. We were obsessed. I don't know why we did so many GHDs. It was just kind of a thing. We did a lot of them. And there was a young man down there, Dre Strom, um, who is an incredible athlete, multiple time regional competitor, you know, won uh, the, the team championship with, with CrossFit Mayhem. And uh, just, he played football in, um, uh, in college, super fit kid. And he, uh, you know, was really good at GHDs. And we were talking about GHDs and somehow it came up about doing a thousand of them in an hour. And I was like, it's impossible. It's just in my head, like I was doing the math. I was trying to think about, it. I'm like, you know, it's, 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 and we did a lot. Like we would do, you know, high order hundreds of them in a week. But I was still like a thousand an hour. I was like, it just doesn't shake out to me. And Dre said, he's like, I could do it. And I was like, adamant that no, you can't. So I said, I'll bet you, I bet, I bet you a thousand dollars. You know, I bet, and, and Dre and I were roommates at the time. So it kind of worked out in my favor because I think, you know, he, he does it. He did 20 on the minute for 50 minutes. And he said it was hard, but not that bad. And I, I would think bet him a case of rabdo for yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he didn't get that either, you know, like just just got it done. Um, and I think Matt Hewitt, you know, teammate of ours then too, he bet him some money and Rich bet him some money. No one at that time, my, my girlfriend, Cassandra, now my wife was, was kind of unhappy when I told her, I was like, Hey, I just bet Dre a thousand dollars to do this. And I was like, I really didn't think it was even in the realm of human possibility. 
but um, I really don't bet anybody on fitness tricks anymore. I don't really, I learned my lesson quick. I get, I kind of get close to getting sucked in to stuff, but um, yeah, he did it and he did it really well. There's probably a video of it kicking around somewhere. Yeah. Um, the mayhem crew seems to keep doing them. Oh, good. O- only they're not for money. It's for like, you know, I don't know if you've seen the videos of Tasia standing in front of Chick-fil-A in a Santa Claus outfit or. I have not seen that. I, so like, if you lose, you have to do like some sort of a gimp thing. Right. Yeah. They, Dre, kept that Dre shaved his on. eyebrows one time, I think. He had to shave I did his eyebrows. See that. Yeah. 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 I like that. <laughs> it makes it makes it makes fitness a, l- a little bit more fun. I'm glad they don't do it for money. I guess I, I'm glad I taught everybody that lesson. You know? Yeah. But so, Dre, I think he was my roommate, like I said, and I think he owed me for rent. And so I paid him a thousand dollars and then he gave me back like half of it. So you know, it all worked out. <laughs> So, so you compete with Mayhem for two years and then you, you take a step back from team and you're going to go individual and you have a, you have a great open. I think, I think you finished 33rd in the world. Yeah. That uh, was 17, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a freak accident with handstand walking and a homemade staircase or. Yeah. So, so 17 actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's close. Um, 17. Yeah. I did have my best open finish and um, I actually, you, I was helping train um, the Reebok teams. And then in 18, when I was, I was going to try and compete again at regionals as an individual, because in 17, I kind of had this attitude of like, ah, I'm done with competing, blah, blah, blah. But then I had my best open finish and I was like, hmm, that was weird. Um, so I wanted to try again in 18. And then that's when they had an 18. It was like this cool work. I was like pistols, muscle ups, and Hanson walking up that little doohickey. And we had made one in, in, at our gym cross at Boston. And I just, I, I walked across it and I kicked down and my foot, uh, the side of my right foot kind of just grazed, not grazed, banged into one of the stack of plates. And, um, you know, if you looked at the break on an x-ray, you'd be like, wow, James, you're a wuss. Cause it's the tiniest little break in your fifth metatarsal, but it's in like this thing. It's called a Jones fracture. It's in like this perfect place to do lots of pain and damage. Um, and so as soon as it happened, I knew something wasn't right. And cause that was the first bone I ever broke. And I was like, this just doesn't feel like other stuff that's happened. So I stood up and I was like, I'm just going to walk it off. And I ran out the door, I ran 200 meters and that felt okay. And then I came back inside and I started warming up. I was just like, I'll walk it off. And I started warming up for power snatches and I couldn't jump. Like I could walk flat footed. Um, and uh, like I could squat and deadlift on it. I mean, did it hurt at heavier loads, but I could do those things. But when I would try to jump, it felt like, for me, it felt like someone was trying to saw my foot in half. So I was like, hmm, that's weird. Maybe it's sprained really bad. So I coached class the rest of the day. I was at the gym. I had to coach classes that night. I coached classes that night. Um, I didn't tell my wife and I came home and got in bed. And I was like, I'll just see if it feels better in the morning. And I woke up in the morning and my foot looked like an eggplant. And I was like, well, I should probably tell her and we should probably go to the doctor. And just long story short, you know, like I said, small break, did a lot of damage. Um, you know, doctor was like, yep, broken. And I was like, I think I was like two or three weeks out from regionals, maybe four when it happened. And, um, you know, I was like, well, could I compete? He's like, yeah, you can probably go for the week through the weekend, you know, but he's like, you're not going to do anything worthwhile. You know, you're just going to go and show up and, and, and kind of hobble through what you can. Because that was the year they did the triple threes. Um, there was the Linda event. Um, there was a power snatch burpee thing. But anyway, long story short, it was like, uh, yeah, I broke my foot. And, um, and it turned out to be a blessing in disguise. Um, my wife was, was competing with the Reebok Cross at one team. And, uh, you know, I got to spend the weekend supporting her. And, and watching her compete with the team and they made it to the games, which, which honestly, in retrospect, you know, for you, your son going D1 and you probably have watched a couple of his games and man, I, I watching a loved one. Oh my have God. To fight to compete. Yeah. I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> you know, like I'm out on that. Right. You know what I mean? It is. So I think it's more anxious producing watching somebody you love compete than yourself competing. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, hundred percent. And it was funny because I think I tore half my hair out that weekend and I was like, you know, I'm, I would want Cassandra to get this chance again. I don't ever want to watch her do this again at regional games was a little bit more calm, but man, watching her go, go through regionals was like, 
harrowing and nail biting, but um, I was really glad I got to do it and support her team and support her at the games. Cause again, it gave me a total different perspective of uh, just, just the comp competitive experience and, and what it looks like, you know, truly being a, a spectator that is rooting for a certain team or a certain athlete. And I definitely learned a lot, but I was bummed. I mean, the, you know, what happens happens. Um, but yeah, like of all times to, to break your first bone, it's just the way it rolls. Well, let's touch on something happier. You mentioned Cassandra. Mm. Um, how did you guys meet? CrossFit, man. You know, like, like I said, you know, um, you know, coming to Boston and doing law school is what, what really immersed me in CrossFit. I'll joke sometimes. And, and maybe you can, you guys understand this too. Like I'm that cliche of like, the only problem with CrossFitters is they never stop talking about CrossFit. Like it's a pretty, it's not the only part of my life, especially now, but it's a pretty big part of my life. I met her at the 2014 regionals. Um, you know, I, I saw this attractive, fit, strong, powerful young lady. Um, she's amazing curly hair. She was wearing these bright pink Lululemon leggings. She's actually just went downstairs to work out. She's wearing them today. Um, <laughs> I, as I said, I said, those are the rope climb leggings. And the event was like sprint back and forth and climb a rope legless. And uh, I just watched her do the event. And I don't know what some sort of special magnetism she had or whatever it was. And I went up to her after the event and I just said, Hey, really nice job. And we had sat down and chatted for a couple minutes. And um, I guess for her perspective at the time, and she tells this story, it's a little more fun. You know, the rest was history after that, but um, I think she went and told her sister, she was like, Oh my God. And, and I don't mean this is a way to like build up my ego. Cause I, I didn't feel like this about myself, but she's like, Oh my God, I just met James Hobart. And, and, you know, and she's like, it's amazing. And he's so awesome. Do you think he likes me? And I guess her sister said to her, it's not like you're going to marry him. And uh, <laughs> so proved her wrong, but uh, she did, yes, definitely did that. but we met at a CrossFit competition and then we were both kind of cross paths training in new England. And, and um, yeah, it was really awesome. Really awesome. Total That's surprise a, for me, but it was good. Great story. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about what you've got going on now too. Um, you're owner, part owner of uh, CrossFit, Na One Nation CrossFit. I'm sorry. One yeah, Nation yeah. CrossFit. Yeah, no, you got it right. CrossFit, One Nation Boston. Okay. It's a lot of words. <laughs> yeah. And, and you and Austin, yeah. uh, my, my, I can never say his last name. Maliolo. And I thought we were going to get through this whole interview without mentioning Austin. <laughs> yeah, we've had a pretty, pretty we long, horrid CrossFit love affair. So I think it's appropriate. <laughs> yeah. So how did you and Austin um, come to collaborate? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we've been friends in CrossFit for a long time. Uh, originally just kind of compet frenemies back in 2010, competing against each other at the, the sectionals in Albany. And, um, you know, we were kind of close together in the region. So we started training together and then he eventually moved down to Boston to work for Reebok at their headquarters gym when they partnered with CrossFit. So he coached down there. We became closer friends. So we've known each other for almost for 10 years now and, um, been friends through then. And he had been, you know, and this was probably, I think he started hand plan in 2016 and he opened his One Nation affiliates, his first One Nation affiliate, I think in 2014, 2015. And he had been bugging me for a long time to, to partner with him in a gym or, you know, work with him and Spencer Hendel on the ham plan. And I had really kind of just played hard to get and pushed him away on that. And it was just for the sole reason that I think, at least my attitude was in life, it's better to start a business with somebody who's just a business partner and then become friends rather than be friends with somebody, start a business and try to develop a working business relationship. And that was really, you know, I had had a good friendship with Austin and uh, I just didn't really want to have to like risk that because we're doing business. And um, about three years ago, I had finally, you know, I'd moved back home taking a bigger step back from competing. And I really wanted to get involved again with coaching. And um, it was sort of a lot of right place at the right time. We, we found out that CrossFit Boston, which was the original affiliate that I trained at in the Boston area, um, was going up for sale. The original owner, Neil Thompson, who started it in 2005. So this is a 12 year affiliate, wanted to sell it. And in my head, I was like, man, it would be a damn shame because they don't give out city names anymore for affiliates. 
I was like, it would be a damn shame if we lost CrossFit Boston, you know, like that just goes away. So it was, I think, I think it's one of the first 50 or 60 affiliates in the world. Um, and so that's when I started talking to Austin and his other partner, uh, a fellow by the name of JC about, Hey, would you guys want to partner with me in purchasing uh, CrossFit Boston? And that led to that. We started working together more closely there. And then Austin, I had been programming and writing class plans and selling that to um, affiliates, just a handful, like five of them. And so I started talking to Austin and Spencer about, hey, we should combine forces and do this on the hand plan. And that was about two years ago. So we've been working, the three of us have been working together on the hand plan and um, growing out, you know, our affiliate coaching arm for a while now. And, um, you know, honestly, it's, it's, it was a really good choice and I'm glad I waited to do it until I did. Um, but we all work together really well. I think we do a good job of like sorting out business and friendship and, and in between. And, um, I think all of our skills have allowed us to do some really awesome things, both on the affiliate front and especially with the, the online programming front. I mean, it's been a big two years for, for the hand plan programming, even in spite of all the, just the stuff going on with COVID and we've learned a lot and it's been a wild ride. And you're also the owner of the coach development plan. Yep. That was another thing I got involved with. That was started by um, Denise Thomas, longtime seminar staff, uh, CrossFit level four member. Um, amazing. She's out at the games this weekend judging her and Austin started it as um, the coaching development program as sort of a, I don't know, a more intense clinical um, on your coaching and the day-to-day -day experiences of running an affiliate. And um, I started working with them about a year and a half ago. Awesome. I am, I am a graduate of that. Ah, awesome. I have my certificate. Did you, you came up here and took it? I did it uh, with uh, Amy Lyons. Oh, amazing. Yeah. Cause I'm yeah. in Delaware. So King of Prussia is like okay. 45 minutes away. Yeah. Amy rocks. Yeah. Oh, very great. Cool. Well, congrats. Fun. Yeah. Thanks Thank for, thanks for supporting that. Mm -hmm. I'm glad. So the last thing I have on my list, James is, um, the Athlete Council, the new council that's been formed by CrossFit. You are one of the original members of that yep. group. Yeah. Uh, with you, Annie, um, Neil, and... Uh, Meredith Root. Meredith Root. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, awesome group. Um, the Athlete Council is really cool. I think, you know, it was, a, it was really uh, flattering, and I'm grateful to be a part of it. Um, you know, some people have, have said some really nice things about uh, our nomination to the, the athlete council. But, uh, you know, I guess from my perspective, it's like, I still feel like we're one small cog, you know, and uh, you know, the games team has always done an awesome job and has grown so much over the years and we're really happy to be there, but uh, yeah, we're just one tiny piece of the tiny piece of the puzzle, but um, it's been a really unique perspective. Um, and, uh, you know, I've always really appreciated the longer I've competed, I've really appreciated seeing the games from that side. Like, for example, just seeing what went into getting this year's games together and how it's changed. Um, it's just continually impressed me about, you know, how hard everybody tries to make something happen and make something good happen. So, yeah. So, so Eric's only been in, in charge, what, four months, five months, maybe. So yeah. how active were you guys able to be in this year's games? because of that short time frame, Yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of give you some insight into really what our, our specific role is. Um, Cause I think there are some like misconceptions about it or just maybe people don't really know. So we don't, we don't have a ton to do in terms of like, what is the fitness test going to be? You know, like we're not sitting down with you know, Dave and Justin Berg and Adrian Bosman and some of the other, you know, key game stakeholders and, and thinking out, you know, like, well, should it be 10 push jerks or should it be seven? Um, you know, our role is to provide greater depth and insight into the athlete experience. So we discuss a lot of the things, you know, with the online competition, we discussed a fair amount of things as far as just logistics, you know, walking the games team through, you know, and Annie was really instrumental in this as well. And, you know, what is it like for someone in a totally different time zone to have to do a competition like this on a set schedule? Um, like that would be an example of something where we would walk through or, you know, what are the issues as an athlete that you might perceive around having a run um, in an online competition? You know, like what are the obstacles that you are probably confronted with or athletes might have to deal with that are all over the world? So a lot of those issues around just not issues, but concepts around logistics 
and fleshing those things out, as well as just discussing overall approaches to parity and fairness um, from the perspective of an athlete and what is the athlete experience at different levels and, and times and parts of the season. And really that's what we're there to provide feedback on. I mean, there is probably some very little discussion um, on programming insight, but there's, there's, a, there's some of it. And, um, but really just that athlete perspective and, and what it is like to go through a season and, and maybe to have some insight on what is it that, or where is it that the athletes want the development of the sport to go, you know, and not just in one year, but across a couple different years. So what part did you play in the air conditioned trailers? Yeah, no, that I didn't have anything to do, do with that. I you know, so when we came on, um, I think, you know, and if you remember, Dave, we had a September date set for the games and that got pushed back to October. I think Dave had a lot, you know, once he realized that they were one going to have to do a significantly smaller group at the games and that he was going to be doing it, a lot of it, you know, in and around that aromas ecosystem, I think he had already put a lot of that stuff down into paper. I mean, the games team is pretty industrious in terms of testing out and when testing starts and making sure that they get that stuff right. Um, from there, yeah, there's a couple other people on the logistics side who have been working with the games team for years that I think, um, you know, they had put a COVID, COVID plan into play. You know, this was four months ago as far as, you know, setting up the trailers and how they were going to do testing and getting athletes inside the bubble. Um, so, you know, that was a lot of stuff that had already been locked down. What we really this time around talked about was um, the online portion because that had changed, you know, I think originally they had expected to have more people at the ranch if possible, but you know, for a lot of reasons, that's not possible. And then we've, we've also done some discussion. Um, I, I don't think I'll get slapped on the wrist for this. We've done, we've done some discussion into what next season is going to look like uh, structurally mm -hmm. and um, how to, how to build that out. Awesome. We can't wait to hear about that. I, you, you know, like I said, I, I don't want to, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff still being worked on. I do think the, 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 the community at large, athlete community, affiliate community will be very excited. And especially even if it doesn't occur next year, you know, unfortunately, I think, um, you know, a lot of us at H at CrossFit Incorporated are going to be taking a, you know, COVID is going to be a little more conservative view. I think it's going to be around or cause some ripples that are going to be around longer than all of us want it to be. But, you know, maybe past the next year, next two, three years, I think, you know, everyone is going to be really excited to see how the CrossFit Games season and, and ecosystem develops. I, I really, I'm super hopeful, you know, the games team and, you know, some visions that Eric has and, and that Dave have, have discussed. Um, I think everyone will be really excited. That's really cool. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Without like, I don't know, I can't really say much more. No, you don't. <laughs> yeah, I understand. You said, you said plenty. Exciting enough. Yeah. You gave us some hope. Yeah, cool. No, I, I do. I, I mean that uh, sincerely. I think um, there's a lot, a lot of hope out there um, and a lot of hope ahead. So, you know, just got to keep our heads down moving forward and, and come out the other side of it. Definitely. Yeah. Kat and Amy, yeah. do you have anything to finish up? I just, I mean, we're like one minute away from the next event. Yeah, I want, that's what I was going to say. I wanted to meet you guys you, to your event. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do you, so, um, I just want to know, do you have podium picks, um, men, women? You know, I think it's going to be hard to uh, keep Matt and Tia off the podium, obviously. I Personally, I'd really like to see, um, you know, I'd like to see Justin up there just because he's, he's such a young kid. And I think that's cool. And then the same thing about Haley Adams. You know, I think, uh, mm -hmm. and on the women's side, I'd like to see, even though I think Tia would be hard to beat, I'd like to see a podium stacked with some um, women from the U.S. because I don't think that's happened in a very long time. But I just, I'm a big fan of the younger athletes for the sole reason that um, I do think it's the future of the sport. And I know Dave's talked about this, but seeing athletes who have been training CrossFit for five, six, seven, I mean, Haley competed, you know, she's technically competed at the games five years now. So she's kind of a vet athlete, but you know, she is 19 and she's hanging with the three-time fittest on earth. And um, I just think that's super amazing. It's a, it's a sign and it's, it's kind of like looking into a crystal ball of things to come. So um, those are the hopefuls that I have. Yeah. And just so our listeners know, we are recording between events of this year's CrossFit Games. Uh, yeah. So thank you, James, mm -hmm. for squeezing that in for us. Yeah, there you go. I'm 2.30 on the dot. So um, <laughs> go enjoy. And I, yeah, I appreciate you guys taking the time to, to chat with me. So thank you 
Thank you so much, uh, Scott, Scott, Amy, and Kat. Thank you. So nice you you've been awesome. You. This, was, this is a great hour. So thank cool. you. All right, guys. Stay well. All right. Hey, everyone. We are running the hashtag road to a thousand subscribers. Uh, we are trying to get a thousand subscribers on YouTube. And I want you to listen to this next clip from last Wednesday's roundtable, where Dave Newman and I talk about the details on how you can win an RX jump rope. We have talked about this. It started on games weekend that uh, our podcast wanted to get to a thousand subscribers on YouTube. Yeah. When you hit a thousand subscribers. It allows you to do so much more. Uh, you have the ability to go live from different events, things like that. And games weekend, we really wanted to kind of go live and do some commentary of the games, but we couldn't cause we don't have enough subscribers. So I reached out to Dave and, uh, he has agreed to sponsor this kind of giveaway that we're doing in our road to a thousand. And that is every time we hit a new century mark, we're going to give away an RX jump rope, the original RX jump rope. You get to pick the colors, you get to pick the, the thickness of the rope. Um, but we want to give away a rope every, every hundred new subscribers we get. The key to that is you have to be a public profile when you subscribe, hit that subscribe button. If you're public, I get to see your name. And so that way we can draw from those names and give away that jump rope every hundred subscribers. And so we are super stoked about this. Uh, we wanted to do something fun with it. And Dave and his team came up with this kind of concept and we're really excited to keep moving forward with that. Yeah, we're excited to help you along with that. And something I didn't tell you, but I might as well, I might as well put it out there. We're going to throw some other little goodies in there. We're not going to say what they are, but, uh, and it may be different every single time, but whoever, uh, whoever wins is going to get some extra little stuff in there. So it should be oh, fun. That's awesome. And so make sure you hit that subscribe button, tell your friends, tell your family, because the faster we get to the next century mark, the next time we draw for another rope and you're, you're involved, whether you are the first subscriber or the thousandth subscriber, you're still eligible to win uh, in these in these giveaways. So, thank you for joining us on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends podcast. Remember, you can find us now on YouTube as well as all major podcast platforms. Please go ahead and hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you use, and consider giving us a five star rating. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Clydesdale Fitness and Friends.